Yo, 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 welcome to another edition of Round by Ramble. I'm your host, Corbin Ford. You can follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA. This is Sports Ethos Presentation. So check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos Online, SportsEthos.com. This is the first of the month, first of the week, first of the year. Today is January 1st, 2024, and I'm happy to bring in a new year with you and yours. Thank you for listening, whoever you may be, wherever you may be listening. Really appreciate y'all and the time you take to check this out. So sit back and relax. Got a fun episode here for y'all today. I have my good friends Josh Earl and Gary Puget on, and we are just recapping the first trade of the NBA trade season. OJ and Obi. Being the big name, going from the Toronto Raptors to the New York Knicks. And we do a good job of touching on it from all angles. Where the Raptors stand right now, where the Knicks stand right now. What they might be doing moving forward. What moves we feel should have been made. All of that. Really nuanced um, conversation that I think y'all will enjoy. So sit back and relax. Check that one out. And then, you know, be sure to check me out because it's first of the year. So you're going to be hearing my voice five times a week now. So if you love me, great. And if you don't, hopefully you will. But uh, that'll do it here for the intro. I want you to sit back, relax, and check out the show. Um, runs just shy of an hour, so y'all are in for a treat. And yeah, I will catch y'all on the other side again. Thank y'all, and let's start the new year right. All right, y'all. What is up, y'all? We are back, the Unholy Three. We got Josh Earl, Garrett Bougay, and myself, Corbin Ford. Back at it again, bringing the new year right by doing what we always do, talking basketball. I mean, we talk about other things too, but mostly basketball. And so here we are, and we actually have a pretty timely topic. A trade happened just before the end of 2023 between the Knicks and the Raptors, which shows that in between, you know, suing each other, you can still, you know, mend fences, at least temporarily. And they're able to do that as the Knicks acquired OJ Anobi from the Toronto Raptors, along with big man Precious Achua and guard Malachi Flynn. Um, and the Raptors received in that trade R.J. Barrett, Emmanuel Quickly, and the Detroit Pistons 2024 second round pick. And so that was, you know, a, I would say a semi-seismic trade. Um, definitely in my mind, the biggest trade that the Knicks have made since the Porzingis trade. Um, uh, the Raptors, I mean, they sell the Kawhi Leonard trade, so that's kind of a thing. But uh, let's we're gonna talk about it. that's the topic of the show. Kind of cut and dry right here. Don't want to say reaction pod as much as an analysis pod, but uh, let's start with you, Josh. What were your first uh, thoughts upon hearing about it? And we'll work our way around. I I think the initial thought um, was that it was kind of interesting that the Raptors pivoted towards actual players instead of uh, what they reportedly were asking for at last year's trade deadline of, you know, four-ish picks. Um, so I thought that was interesting and kind of seemingly taking what would be OG's next contract, which would probably be high 30s, low 40s per year maybe. Uh, at least that's what OG's probably going to ask for. And then replacing that with two players who are under the age of 25, who are starter quality, um, that combined, once quickly gets his uh, this offseason, combined will probably be near 50-ish mil per year. So, like, slight increase in the overall cost, but you're having two likely starters versus one starter you'd be retaining. 
So I thought that was interesting. And I thought it was also interesting that the Knicks managed to get OG, whom they've been hungry for, without giving up a first. So the Knicks still have uh, all of their own future firsts to, to deal. Plus, I think they have a Dallas first, uh, which is top 10 protected this uh, year. A Detroit Pistons first, which is top 18 protected this year. And a Wizards first, which is top 12 protected this year. And then they also have a Bucks first from uh, 2025 that's uh, top four protected. So they still have a lot of draft capital. They have functionally an expiring contract in Evan Fournier's like $18 million deal. They have guys like uh, Quentin Grimes. Um, and, and I think it was interesting that they got OG without having to give up much of what you would expect them to put into for a big trade like this. Yeah, it's uh it's an interesting trade for both sides. I think from the Knicks perspective, especially with the Mitchell Robinson injury, uh, getting in a Chua gives you some depth, not only at the five spot now, but then also he can slide down and play some four, which, you know, when they lost Obi Toppin, they kind of lost that true backup four. So now they have that. They can, you know, their only real option was maybe Josh Hart as your backup four, but then you're going really small at that point. So Achua gives you the ability to, uh, you know, maintain some size out there on the floor. And then, yeah, OG Ananobi, of course, one of the best isolation defenders in all of basketball, a guy that I think every team needs to uh, to deal with uh, and, and to get through the grind that is the postseason because you're going to go up against elite superstar wings in the playoffs every year and so having a guy that uh, is a lockdown defender is is crucial to advancing and succeeding in the postseason um but the you know the challenge is you as josh rightfully stated and part of the reason why it's good for the raptors is like the rap the knicks sent out two starters and got one back essentially and so that does hurt the knicks depth a little bit uh and uh but as Josh also stated, they still have a stockpile of picks. And I think that was, uh, um, you know, to, to make another move. And I think that was a big part of it is we can get a guy in OG Ananobi who like, you know, as a third, fourth guy could be really good. And then we just, we still have the assets to potentially get that superstar in next to, you know, Brunson and, and OG now. So I think based off of both of your um, comments, we all agree that this is rem- not the move for the Knicks this season or um yeah this season but rather a precursor to a future move yeah that I mean I, I would suggest so uh you know I think even though OG and Obi isn't old you know they they are um you know sending out two young players in this deal and going for a little bit more upside and and trying to upgrade there. So, yeah, you would think that, um, you know, something else is coming. Otherwise, you know, why are you taking this swing? Mm. That's fair. At the very least, it gives them the optionality to be in those conversations if, you know, somebody they think would fit well, like a Donovan Mitchell, for instance, does become available. 
Yeah, I guess, you know, I were talking about, we kind of, I think, covered it really well in a generalized kind of overview. But, you know, we are six minutes in and we need to go a little longer. So let's kind of go into it from, let's just pick a team specifically to go into on a deep dive level. I guess we could start with the Knicks as we're already talking about this being a, a precursor to future moves. Because, I mean, we saw Ananobi's impact as we're recording this. Uh, the Knicks played their first game um, with Ananobi earlier um, in a contest early in the day against the Minnesota Timberwolves, which they won 112-106. Not that it matters, but just for posterity's sake, I wanted to share that. Um, but Ananobi, you know, I thought he played well. Like, he got to play the role he wanted to offensively, or not the role he wants to. That Apparently, I've heard different things about him wanting a bigger role. But he got to play the role that we're used to him playing, which is being in the corner, you know, um, ready for open threes off of Brunson penetration or, you know, random post-ups or whatever, and then make plays off of that. Um, he definitely wants to flash more offensive game. At least that's been the word around the street. So that's something cool there. And defensively, I mean, everyone from Anthony Edwards to Carl Anthony Towns, right? Like his defensive versatility is a thing there for sure. Um, but like you said, we, we know what we're getting with the player OG there. And, and, and I think we all know that he's more than likely going to resign there. I think Josh, you kind of went into a little bit of that already as far as his, his future in New York. So uh, looking at, you know, what else they bring. I guess while, in the meantime, between time, while they wait for that other shoe to drop in terms of a trade, do you like the encore fit of OG along with Brunson? But even more specifically, I would say with Randall, because right now it's very much a mid-three, but if, if I were the Knicks, I would make Randall expendable. Honestly, he probably would be the key component salary-wise going for somebody on like a partic like a seven plus years experience uh max contract so if they were to swing a deal for somebody who's already on either a 25 percent max or a 30 percent max like Randall's contract is probably gonna have to be involved um because you know, Fournier gets you part of the way there, but even if you combine Fournier and Grimes, like you still probably don't hit for some of those like bigger targets. Um, not to mention, and this is why I know for a fact OG is going to resign with the Knicks. Um, Julius Randle actually was a CAA client, creative artist agency, which uh, practically run the Knicks. Leon Rose um, was the the head of basketball operations for that agency before he took over the the role with the Knicks as the GM. Uh, Worldwide West <laughs> worked with CAA before he got his role with the Knicks. Um, like Julius Randall was a CAA client. Now he is not a CAA client. OG on a newbie. Mm is a CAA client. He recently switched. So OG's agent, by the way, is Sam Rose, who is the son of Leon Rose, who is the Knicks GM. So the Knicks know exactly what OG wants this offseason, and they are guaranteed to give it to him. <laughs> um, so like, th this is one of those situations where there's the utmost uh, clarity, I think, for the team in terms of what they expect the player to want, because like that's in 
you know, family dinner, they can, <laughs> Sam and Leon can talk about like, here's what OG wants. Here's what we're willing to give them. Uh, that, that's not really a problem. So uh, I think the fact that Julius Randle left CAA, I normally don't believe in all the like, you know, for instance, every clutch uh represented player is gonna go with to the Lakers. I don't always believe that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh CAA <laughs> has even deeper ties in New York and CAA has had deeper ties in New York for quite a while. Um Tom Thibodeau for instance is also a CAA uh client. Um so yeah I, I think Randall while I while I don't expect them to actually make another move before the deadline per se, because I don't think anybody of the ilk they're going for is necessarily going to be available. I could see them maybe, maybe if like Atlanta's looking to shed some salary, maybe see if they can kick the tires on sending Fournier's contract um, plus like a second or, or something for Capella. Um that gives you, you know, a starting center. Hartenstein goes back to the bench, gives you a little buffer for uh, the offseason when Hartenstein's a free agent. Or you can always trade Capella again in the offseason where he'll have one year remaining. He'll be functionally an expiring contract. Um, I can see them doing something like that, uh, but I don't think they'll swing for the fences because I don't think there's the swing for the fences guy that's going to be available at this deadline. Well, I think like the, the benefit of having OG and Anobi as the first guy in is, and Corbin, you, you kind of touched on this is his own versatility as a basketball player, you know, offensively, he doesn't need the ball, even though, yeah, he, he does seem to want the ball more than he gets. Uh, where where he is usually but on the defensive end he can guard basically all five positions he's strong he's sturdy he's got size he's got length so the Knicks can uh, you know as as Josh has talked about in, in previous episodes like you don't know what the next move is or what next player is going to become available but with OG in town they can you know, if it ends up being a power forward like a Lowry Markinen or something, you know, they could go after that type of player. If it's more of a wing and, you know, you want to slide OG to the four and bring that guy in, you can do that as well. So that's the other benefit of this move for the Knicks is that, uh, you know, even though you don't know what the next move necessarily is going to be, they have some, uh, you know, some options at their disposal. I definitely like both points on that for sure, Josh. I just wanted to also add, we know that OG has wanted a a bigger role within an offense, right? Well, now that the Knicks traded away the, the two players who basically drove the offense for the bench units on the Knicks, uh, OG has the opportunity to assume a little bit more of that um, with the Knicks. Um, Josh Hart and Quentin Grimes both have kind of talked to the media about being a little displeased with their roles with the Knicks. And now they're in line to have not only 
uh, at least with Grimes and DiVincenzo's case, like they're going to get more minutes. Hart might get a little bit more, but um, they're going to get bigger roles, you know, because that play, like the downside for the Knicks is they lost playmaking um, primarily from quickly. Like RJ, it's tough to, for me to say playmaking in context of RJ, but RJ would get shot opportunities. Uh, which you do need, um, particularly when Brunson's resting. So this this just opens up um, better, more consistent roles for guys like DiVincenzo, Quentin Grimes, uh, Josh Hart, uh, Miles McBride, who they just extended. Um, so like these types of players are going to get more of a role. The rotation becomes a little clearer. You don't have as much like uh, shuffling of different players uh, who fill similar roles and stuff. Um, and, you know, like I said, maybe OG does get an opportunity to stretch his wings a little bit. I agree. I think OG, and that's something I wanted to touch on real quick um, about like more roster balance for the Knicks, I guess. I, I will also say when we get to Toronto, the exact same thing, right? We'll, we'll, we'll address that as we touch on them. But before we move on from that, obviously OG and Nobi is the centerpiece of the trade, the main player, but I do want to touch on the other two players that are also now New York Knicks and to get your thoughts on them. Um, one being Precious Chua, the other um, being um, Malachi Flynn. And mind you, I, well, they factor in super heavily. I think Chua more so than um, Flynn just because the Knicks backup center spot has been just ravaged by injuries, you know, and it's really just been uh, Isaiah Hartenstein as uh, Isaiah Hartenstein and the artist formerly known as Taj Gibson. I'm kidding. Taj Gibson's actually been like really well, but I thought it was hilarious. Um, I think it was the last game, the two games ago, they showed Taj Gibson literally like he was running up and down. He was tired. He was like, Hey, get me out the game. And they interviewed him later. And he was like, yeah, you know, the players are making fun of me because I got tired. It was so funny, but he's playing like heavy minutes. And like, mind you, you know, he's a Tom Thibodeau favorite and it's great. And I'm so happy still in the league after all these years. He's also 38, right? And undersized big. So that's kind of a thing. And so you look at Precious Tachua, he was averaging 7.7 points per game. He was averaging 5.4 rebounds. He is also undersized six foot eight, but I think can play a lot of the Knicks kind of energy big lineups, you know, in terms of being able to, you know, he can he has a funky kind of skill set. He can play the pick and roll, but he can also make a pass out the short roll. You know, different things like that. He can kind of stretch out a little bit to the corners for a three. He has a little weird big man game in his relatively, I guess, forward size body, right? But even if he's not playing the center, he could play power forward, right? Uh, Malachi Flynn, I think, is interesting. He can compete with Miles McBride for backup guard duty. Um, with my with McBride being extended, obviously that's a thing. But like, he's there and and. Flynn helped help the Raptors get up and down transition. Definitely helped them kind of, you know, get into quick shots. So that's something I wanted to shout out. But I didn't know if either of you had any extra thoughts on those two players who obviously are not going to factor anywhere, anywhere near as importantly as OG will, but are still, you know, components of the trade. Yeah, you know, when I think most people when they're when they're looking at this trade, uh, you know, we'll we'll just bring up those three guys, the OG, RJ, and and uh, quickly, and you know, from the Knicks' perspective, obviously, yeah, Achua and and Flynn are like they're the rotation players at best, right? But uh, I think, and and Josh brought this up with the fact that they almost immediately extended Miles McBride, and they also signed 
Dante DiVincenzo this past offseason. I think both of those moves were kind of made in concert to say, like, you know, we can this can allow quickly to be expendable if we find a good deal. Um, you know, we know he has value, but we have some depth. We have some guys we like that can still fill in there. So New York can kind of look at this situation and say, like, well, OG is essentially just replacing RJ in the rotation. We've got DiVincenzo and McBride that can step up and take Quickly's minutes. And now we've got a guy in Achua who can uh, fill in with all of our center injuries. So for them, I think they could, they could even make an argument that this uh, added to our depth in a sense, uh, despite the fact that, yeah, probably two of the top three players, uh, you know, went to Toronto. Josh, you have any thoughts? Nah, you two said it well. <laughs> <laughs> well, there we go. No, I, I definitely agree with um, your estimation there, Garrett, for sure. It's it's one of those trades where, yeah, there are big temple pieces, but there are other components as well that do factor in in some capacity um, to the benefit of said team. So I think we did a good job covering the Knicks. We knew what the Knicks brought in. We know what OG brings off the top. Um, before we close out, I guess what would be a move that y'all would be looking at for the Knicks to go with? I mean, there's been DeJounte Murray's been thrown around. There's obviously been Donovan Mitchell. Um, I've even heard on the worst parts of NBA Facebook, I know this is rarely a thing, but bear with me, um, Zach Levine, which I'm like, please, that's why it's NBA Facebook. But anyways, like what kind of move would you make if you were, you know, CAA, you know, running the Knicks for the next component for this team, um, given that you do have, you know, a 29-year-old Julius Randle, a 27-year-old um, Jalen Brunson, you know, uh, next time Mitchell Robinson plays, he'll be 26. And of course, now you have OG Anobi, 26, who will be 27 next season. Sorry to say it, Garrett, but Donovan Mitchell. <laughs> and I, I, I believe he's probably at the top of the next list as well. Uh, I mean, Donovan is from New York. He's he's um, a CAA client. CAA client. Um, <laughs> he His, like, age lines up with Bronson, OG, etc., um, they he's the guy I think that they're they're focused on now. It's always possible that someone else comes up that we had no expectation for, but I think he's the one they're they're keeping tabs on the hardest. Yeah, and I I brought his name up earlier, but uh, I think Lowry Markinen is an interesting is an interesting. A possibility you know the the jazz are not really in win now mode so he theoretically is available even though i, I think danny ainge would uh, drive a tough bargain for him uh but you know julius randall of course has had some some really good uh, seasons in the past you know couple of years but he's been so up and down you know and i think lowry markinen would give them a little bit more consistency especially on the offensive end and then also I think he brings a little bit more of that rim protection that Randall really doesn't uh so you know I, I think he would be an, an upgrade there even though yeah you would probably say it does make sense to say like well Jalen Brunson can only handle the ball so much we need someone that's more of a ball handler type but you could also theoretically make a, another move even after this one um, to to get somebody uh, either 
uh, also at the trade deadline or next off season that can, that can handle the ball and be, you know, a, a bench creator. But, you know, I think Markinen has that, uh, that combination of he's, he's a really good player right now that fits their timeline and he might actually be available. I like both of those. I think that's both solid ones that make sense for, this Knicks unit as currently constructed. Um, very last question. Are there any wild card ones? Like, I mean, DeJounte Murray for me would be a wild card one considering, yes, he's been talked about a lot, but I don't see the fit. And then when I do see it, I don't like what I see. Um, and also given that quickly is now in Toronto, I feel like that'd be a big piece to go in a DeJounte Murray package. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm definitely curious about that. So my, my wild card, and it would be kind of funny because it would be bringing in another Villanova product, but what about Mikhail Bridges? You know, they, they just got a guy in OG and Anobi who in previous, you know, trade deadlines was like, oh, we need four, four draft picks for this guy. That's I think that was the asking price, if not more, for Mikhail Bridges in previous years. The Nets, at some point, I think, have to look themselves in the eye and say, Let, you know, we're not a contender. Uh, so what are we doing here? Um, and yeah, I think his, his skill set would be, would be great in Brooklyn, especially given the, the improvement that he's had as an on ball creator in, you know, the last year and a half. That would be nice. I don't think Brooklyn wants to move him. I, I feel like they feel him and Cam Johnson are like, not just their, their core in terms of players, but their core in terms of like the environment, the type of players we want to build around, the type of um, team, the type of franchise we want to exude. Like, I, I, I think they're not really open to those guys. In fact, I think I'd combine both of your ideas. I think it's more likely that Brooklyn would be looking to get DeJounte Murray to join Mikhail Bridges and Cam Johnson in Brooklyn than they are to move Mikhail. But Mikhail and uh, OG on the wings for, for a Knicks team would be so nasty. nasty work. Be so good. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's true. Actually, that does on to, to Brooklyn. That'd be interesting. Because they definitely an upgrade for their point guard spot. And he would be one over, you know, um, Forgetting his name is so forgettable. I hate to say that. I'm just kidding. But Spencer Dinwiddie. Um, with that Ouch. being said, yeah, I know. I'm sorry. I like Dinwiddie, but uh, anyway, that's, it's not the podcast where Spencer Dinwiddie talks, so we're going to leave that for another time. But, no, I definitely think it's interesting for the Knicks, kind of rounding it out. Obviously, it made a really big move, the first of another one to follow. Uh, we'll wait to see what that looks like, but I definitely like OG there, and I think we can expect the three of us safe to say like he will be there for the foreseeable future. So, Definitely curious to see what New York is cooking. But let's go to Toronto, right? Which, again, we, we know who they have, um, and we know that the big sexy name in this is Emmanuel Quickly. So let's start with him. Um, so you know, give my thoughts. I mean, obviously, he's going to start. It's hilarious because the Raptors also played their first game with him um, today, and he did. they, they also won, uh, being the Cleveland Cavaliers. And Quickly, I don't think, cracked. 30 minutes a game this time, or 30 minutes in this one, which is hilarious because this time he didn't crack it because of foul trouble. But it was hilarious that he wasn't cracking in New York, goes to Toronto, same-ish, different day. But he did get what we expected, which was the start. Um, he had 14 points, six rebounds, three assists in his 28 minutes. And, you know, 
the Raptors in position to pay him the contract that the Knicks would not have handed him over the summer. Um, not only for the extension, but just because paying a small guard, small scoring guard market rate when you already have another one in Jalen Brunson, probably not the best business, certainly a choice. Um, but yeah, he wants to start money. He's going to get that. He plays well for the Raptors. And I think he is a guy who fits in perfectly with this Raptors team that desperately needs what he provides. I wrote down that he um, is shooting, what, 39.5% from three. Um, and per 100 possessions, he takes 11 of those attempts. So he's definitely someone who gets it up. He's been an efficient shooter. Um, also, ironically, grabs almost as many as, as – he grabs nearly as many rebounds as OG and Anobi grabs, like statistically. Um, this season was hilarious just given, you know, who those two players are as players. But he's someone that I think immediately slots in to that starting position and can kind of be the future there because they really did have a stopgap thought there with Dennis Schroeder, right? So those are my thoughts. But with over to you, Garrett, and then Josh, what, what are your thoughts on just where quickly slots in your feelings of how he plays with Toronto and just your long-term projection of him there? Well, yeah, you said it, Corbin, that uh, Schroeder was a, a stopgap option. You know, he's he's still a, a solid player, but uh, he's not the future at the point guard position for the Toronto Raptors. And so, you know, the, especially after losing Van Fleet in the offseason and, of course, a few years ago trading away franchise icon Kyle Lowry, they've been uh, really lacking in the point guard and just in the guard in general department. So uh, getting a, a, a young talent in like quickly should help. Uh, I don't think he's like a game changer, but he does have potential still. He's still very young and could develop into something even more than he is right now. Um, and then, yeah, you get a guy in RJ Baird who also has, you know, still maybe a little bit untapped upside. Um, and, you know, he's he's not as uh, nearly as good of a, a defensive player as, as OG Ananobi, but still provides, you know, okay size and, and athleticism and strength. So uh, I think they're they're a decent fit, and it, it makes a little bit more sense now because I think for a while the issue with the Raptors and maybe why they haven't done as well uh, on the on the court as you would maybe think just based on the roster on paper is because of you know OG and Siakam and Scotty Barnes, all those guys kind of be in the same position and oftentimes kind of wanting to do the same thing. And I think they fixed that at least a little bit with this move. Yeah, I think he's going to be a very good complimentary fit next to Scotty. Um, he's going to make Scotty's job easier. Um, and, and, you know, he can play both on and off ball when he was, uh, you know, the primary uh, playmaker and scorer for the Knicks bench units he got a chance to like show like, Hey, I can do a lot of on ball type stuff as well. But he also got to spend a fair amount of minutes next to Brunson, next to Randall, next to RJ where, you know, the ball's not necessarily in his hands and can you still be a positive impact player? And, and he's proven that um, when he did start, whenever, you know, Brunson was out or, you know, when uh, they they needed somebody next to Brunson for a couple of games, like he averaged 22 points, uh, five boards, five assists per game on really good uh, shooting splits. So, like, I wouldn't be shocked if those were the type of numbers he puts up in Toronto, given the, the starting opportunity and the fact that I don't imagine Pascal is going to stay there beyond the deadline. Um, and so... 
his opportunity in Toronto. First, he's going to get to start. Um, and then, you know, once a Pascal trade maybe happens, all of a sudden he gets even a bigger boost in opportunity in terms of like uh, role within the offense. So I think quickly is in line to have like a, a quote unquote breakout season with Toronto. Um, and like you said, Corbin, um, I think they're definitely going to pay him what he's going to ask for. And it's still going to work out for Toronto because it's still going to be way less than what OG is going to ask for um, just because the difference in their kind of archetypes and the value of those archetypes around the league. Um, and then with RJ, maybe they see something in RJ that, you know, uh, they, they feel can continue to progress. Um, maybe they think, you know, being home is going to help, you know, maybe some more maple water instead of uh, New York water is, is going to, you know, get things going for him. But uh, at, at the very least, even if RJ is kind of the, the price of getting uh, Emmanuel quickly, I, I'm sure Toronto's fine with that. And, and RJ will get enough opportunity to put up the type of numbers where he might still be tradable for future things if they figure, you know, RJ's not a fit next to Scotty and Emmanuel, et cetera. So I, I, I think it's a good trade for Toronto. Um, I also think the fact that they prioritized young players over draft picks suggests to me that they're not trying to rebuild. They're they're trying to probably push for the play-in, maybe playoff spot, um, in part because their pick goes to San Antonio if it uh, uh, falls uh, between 6 and 30, I think. Um, and even if they wanted to try to, you know, tank the rest of the year and, and get into that top five range – there's no way they're catching Detroit, San Antonio, Washington, Charlotte, and Portland. Um, they just can't. Um, so I think they're pu- going to push for the play-in. But I also think that they're going to try to move Pascal as well. Interesting. I was actually going to say that before we move into Pascal, which I, I definitely want to do. Um is ask like what do we see as the Raptors' long-term direction? Because you're right, I think by you know having Masai you know prioritize players over picks, he turned down several pick packages involving OG and Obi from last season. You know to settle for two rotation players, and you know albeit a good second-round pick, but a second-round pick. You know it does seem like he's looking to do the whole retool uh, over the over the rebuild per se, which I guess I get because you do have players now who you know are younger to fit around Scotty Barnes. Scotty Barnes was 22, and now you have a 24-year-old quickly and a 23-year-old, you know, R.J. Barrett. So I do definitely think that that is more the direction. Um, before we even go into Pascal Siakam, because that was my next question, I just want to ask, how do we feel about that as a Ross construction theory or as a team timeline theory for Masai to go evaluate this roster and say, yeah, we're just going to, you know, kind of tink around the edges while moving what was once a foundational piece without, you know, making let's say the one move to pull out the Jenga to make it all go down. It's really just like subbing one out for two other pieces in that kind of construct. Yeah. I mean, I think the, 
it's it's going to be hard for that team to truly get to the bottom, as Josh mentioned. Like they still have a, a a decent roster here, even if they ultimately trade Siakam, you've still got quality players that uh, you know, and and this team is going to be better than that uh, that bottom four or five teams that are truly pretty putrid, <laughs> to say the least. Uh, so <laughs> it's it's hard to uh, it's hard to tank fully, and, and I think like. You know, Josh said it's not a rebuild. I think it still can sort of be a rebuild, but like just in terms of it's more of a smooth rebuild where it feels like, okay, we're not like fully going to the bottom. We're, uh, and I think that was kind of the idea with like the Scotty Barnes year too, right? When uh, they were in Tampa, they just had one bad season, got a high pick, got Barnes, and then, you know, tried to compete again. Um, I think there's an element of that with with this move here with with OG, where you're getting two guys that should be able to help you right now, and uh, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if the Raptors are better after this deal than they were before. I mean, they they've just they just looked like they weren't having fun out there. It just didn't look very pretty. Their offense has been pretty awful. Uh, so, you know, this might spruce things up a bit and, and, you know, maybe just they, they needed a shift in that locker room. Uh, but, but yeah, when it comes to a Siakam trade, if, uh, if this deal was any indication, I wouldn't be surprised if they go a similar route where they get a couple of guys that may, you know, obviously aren't on Siakam's level, but can maybe be better fits with, uh, the, the roster that they have and maybe are a little younger to, yeah, to, to rebuild sort of on the fly. Yeah, I think from a roster construction stat strategy standpoint, like we've discussed, like swapping one guy who to retain would cost 40-ish million a year, and it obviously isn't an ideal fit with Scotty and Pascal, uh, even if they decide to move Pascal like it's it's not the smoothest fit they haven't had that much success the last couple seasons um and you can swap that out for two starters under 25 like that's usually a really good value play and the fact that quickly brings the type of three-point shooting and the volume three-point shooting because like OG shoots threes but OG's taking like six threes a game Quickly shooting like 11 threes a game when you look at like, um, you know, per 36 minutes. So uh, I think the construction philosophy approach makes sense. Um, and, and I think like like Garrett said, I think the idea and, and perhaps I worded things poorly. It, it, the idea isn't we're going Detroit. We're not like rebuilding. We're transitioning with a lull on the way back up Re um, retooling retooling yes 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 my word right um, there i love it yeah so i i imagine that that's that's the goal and i think the idea is, the hope actually probably is to have san antonio actually get their pick this year uh so that it doesn't roll over into subsequent seasons um since this draft class is supposedly a, of lower quality. I mean, we always say this at the start of the college season, there's always somebody's going to pop eventually there. There's always, 
it, we might not have a unanimous like top player yet, but by the time this class is actually like playing in the NBA, there's gonna be a couple of players who become all stars. There's it's how draft classes usually work. But if you're Toronto, you probably want this obligation, this tr- this pick obligation taken care of this year, which means you need to be out of the top five picks. Um, and I- ideally, you also have to factor in that you want Scotty to experience winning soon. Like, like you want to get Scotty to believe that you can win here uh, so that, you know, you don't start to spoil that relationship with your core player. Um, So I think, plus you get, you get some money when you, when you're in the play in and when you like get a home playoff game. Um, Now, would they, if they managed to somehow make the playoffs, whether through the play in or, or somehow got to the six seed, which I don't think is likely, but you never know. Um, if they did, they're probably not getting out of the first round. But that's still, you know, again, a step in the positive direction that they want this to go, that they want Scotty to get used to, that they want Emmanuel to get used to now that he's part of that core with Scotty. Yeah, and just a few more things from the, the Raptors side of things. You know, ever since they had both Van Fleet and Lowry on the roster, the backup point guard has been a serious problem, right? And so one of the benefits of this deal is that now Schroeder can, you know, go and be your backup point guard. And now they've gone from having, you know, one of the worst backup point guard situations in the league to now one of the best. So that is another big, uh, big step in the right direction for this team, at least on the court this year. And then the other thing too is, yeah, we, we've, we've mentioned it, but that Detroit second round pick, uh, Masai Ujiri has had some success with some second rounders. You know, Norman Powell was a second rounder. Uh, you also had, um, you know, Pascal Siakam was a late first rounder. So he's had some success in that range where you're talking that that pick will be. So, uh, you know, even though, yeah, you're you're not. Uh, they didn't value picks in this trade. Like that could still turn into a player that can help this team at some point. Yeah, I definitely like the mindset there. I guess in terms of the long term look for this squad. Um, I, I guess one thing I'm curious about, and I know we talked about them a little bit here, is do you think that there is okay. With the trade, I think a few podcasts I've listened to, articles I've read, have looked at R.J. Barrett as like the tax kind of needed to acquire quickly. What are your thoughts on that? Because, yes, like it is a big contract, right? You you are paying him a good little bit of money moving forward. Um, At the same time, you know, yeah, his shooting efficiency is, is horrible. Um, We can say that, you know, um, especially for a guy, you know, on a four-year, $107 million extension. But – I think he's still a strong driver. He seems like an odd fit a little bit in Toronto, but he's someone who I think instead of more of a combo four or a combo forward, like OG and Obi was swinging between the three and the four, I feel like Barrett's like an actual swing man being able to swing between the two and the three. And so I, I don't know. I just feel like he's somebody who I, I, I wouldn't consider him the tax that he's been looked at. You know, I also don't think he's going to immediately, he's Canadian. He's going to be an amazing player now. No, like 
I'm somewhere in the middle on that, but I want to get y'all thoughts on that because what I've heard a lot, the prevailing thought is almost like he was kind of the cost of doing business, which I get it for his contract would have been an integral part of any big move the Knicks did that didn't involve Julius Randle, but I didn't see it as, you know, uh, for lack of a better word, a bear attacks. Yeah, I, I don't see it that way either. I I think of him as a positive asset. I, I don't think it's like immensely positive, but, uh, you know, yeah, you can look at that number and say it's pretty big, but, um, you know, the salary cap is going to continue to rise. I, you know, we're, we're talking about OG Ananobi, who is not an all-star caliber player. He's a really good role player. He's probably going to be making 40 plus million on his next uh, deal. Um you know, so Barrett in like the 23 to 29 range, which is what he's going to be making the next few seasons, like for a guy who I would, I would argue is at least average on both ends of the floor or, you know, and having an average wing on on both ends is a really a a pretty decent uh, value asset. So, yeah, I, I don't think it's a bad move at all to, to include him and, um, yeah, I would even say that I, I would consider it a slight plus for for the Raptors to to have him uh, on the roster moving forward for and locked in for for multiple years. And again, he's young; he he could still uh, you know make some probably probably isn't going to make a leap at this point, but can make some marginal improvements as well. Yeah, I tend to agree with you guys. I don't think Any it's thoughts, a Barrett Josh? tax. Yeah, I don't think it's a, a Barrett tax. I think it's. Again, like you guys said, he's a young player. Uh, I, I I do also think Toronto they've been uh, they're 18th in points per, per game as a team so far this season. Like as much as we might malign RJ uh, in terms of efficiency, the guy is a scorer. He he is going to get you. You know. 18, 19 points per game. Um, and for a team that's struggled, frankly, to score, like that's still a valuable thing, even again, if the efficiency isn't great. Um, you're, you're still getting somebody who's going to attack the rim. And, and he's going to be in lineups that potentially have more spacing for him than he had when he was on the Knicks. So, like, the, the lanes might be a little wider for him. Um, the other th- – like, in theory, the core right now, or at least the the starters, uh, in theory, long-term at the moment, are going to be quickly um, Grady Dick, ideally, even though he has not been good so far, um, RJ, Scotty, and Jakob Pertl for the time being, right? Like that, that's kind of their five, uh, ideally at the moment, um, assuming Siakam is moved and Siakam, if Siakam is moved, you're probably not getting somebody back. Who's the type of scorer Siakam can be. So RJ can help plug that a little bit. Um, again, I don't think it'll always look good. I don't think it'll always like make the efficiency snobs, you know, too happy, but like sometimes, uh, in, in circumstances like this, where your team isn't particularly adept at scoring, like having somebody who at least 
is going to put pressure on the rim. Um, maybe won't be, you know, leading to a lot of kickouts to, to three point shooters and stuff, but somebody who will put pressure uh, on the rim uh, is something that it should be beneficial for them anyway. Yeah, I definitely have nothing to refute that. I think it is something that they should look at moving forward. Um, so for the record, we don't on, on, on Siakam. I know we've touched on it and brought it up. We think that he is gone because I wonder why. Like in my mind, if I may put a little devil's advocate here, 29 years old, right? Like not getting worse just yet. You can give him a contract 29 through 33, 34. I wouldn't feel horrible about it. Like, yeah, his shooting's not super great, but he fits in, right? I think he's someone who could play alongside. Like, if you have him and Anobi and Scotty Barnes, yeah, too much of relative of the same thing, right? But I still think that there's a fit there for him as, like, a plug-and-play guy. For a guy that, let's be real, like, isn't really a plug-and-play player because of the style of play he has, because he's not really a good shooter. Like, you can't just give him to any team. Like, the only team I think he would be, like, you know, a, a, a fit off the top with would probably be Indiana. I actually like him for Sacramento, but then who are you getting if you're Sacramento that, and I don't know, we talked about this, Josh, uh, a few days ago, like who if you get for Sacramento, who are you giving up that isn't Keegan Murray that Toronto's going to be like, yeah. And I know I made the case for Davion Mitchell, and you were like, eh, and I've let it marinate, and I'm also agreeing with you now. So, like, I think Indiana would be, like, one where he can go in and fit right there. But other than that, I don't see an immediate fit. Like, I don't like him in Philadelphia. I don't see him in some other teams that, I guess you could say can make the case for him. So it's like, why not extend him and just keep him around? If you're still trying to win, he is a winning player. He's just not like a perfect fit. And no, you're not building around him. You're building around Scotty Barnes and to a lesser extent, a man who quickly and guys who play alongside Barnes. But if Siakam can do that, then what are we doing? Yeah, I think I'm kind of in between the two of you. I, I think there's an element of like the timing of this trade, having having it done now and you've still got some time prior to a trade, the trade deadline, I think gives uh, the Raptors a chance to kind of at least get a little bit of a look, a glimpse at what this team is now and see if like, okay, are we, you know, are we going to actually be able to conceivably fight for a play in or a playoff spot? And also you can, you can still be logical and say, well, yeah, we're not anywhere uh, near where we want to be in terms of a championship level basketball team. So if someone bowls us over with a, uh, with an offer for Siakam, I think we have to take it. Right. But at the same time, I agree with you, Corbin, that Siakam, I mean, he's, he's on the older side, but he, you know, he's still in his twenties. So it's not like this situation where, um, he's about to retire or anything and you know he might be able to uh maintain close to this level for for the next contract that he that he signs um so yeah there is there is some flexibility here although yeah there is um there is the concern given what just happened with van fleet that uh do you want to take that risk of you know having a a guy walk for nothing and uh you know again talking about retooling well if if siakam and van fleet both walk for nothing it makes it a lot harder to actually retool very true josh any thoughts on that i agree uh where i'm coming from though is siakam now is uh year seven which puts him in the 30 percent max rate 
I believe. Yeah, 30% of the cap. Um, so to retain him, you're talking about like $45 million a year for, again, a 29-year-old who doesn't really have a consistent shot, um, has been playing next to Scotty for a couple of seasons now, and, and they haven't had a whole lot of success. Um, and, you know, again, you're going to be paying quickly probably 25-ish million per year. Um, your your books are going to get tight pretty quick, even with passing on, you know, giving OG a, a big deal too. So, again, from just a team construction standpoint and mostly just from a financial perspective, that's tough. Now, a lot of people will go with the idea of like, okay, well, work on an extension, see if you can get a slight discount from him, and then you can always trade him later. But as we've all discussed multiple times, I don't buy into the idea of you can always trade him later because injuries happen, because uh, perhaps poor life decisions happen. Um, like the the player could maybe have like a just a really bad uh, stretch of games, and now all of a sudden – you know, you can't trade him or what you could trade him for uh, at this deadline. You, you maybe can't get that same value at the next deadline or the next off season. So I think there is something to be said about keeping Siakam there uh, and, and helping them be competitive the rest of this season you know, help them get that pick obligation to San Antonio this draft, um, help them potentially get some play-in uh, money, help them, like, you know, do what they're seemingly trying to do. And then the the other aspect of this is what if they do just let Siakam walk? Like, we always talk about this as a basketball community of, like, you can't just let somebody walk. You can. You totally can. Um, it just depends on how you view cap space. Like, and most people view cap space as, like, that's what you use to get free agents. But that's not the only thing you can use it for. And so if Toronto does want to do, like, that smooth rebuild – and maybe they there's nothing in particular uh, in offers for Siakam that they feel uh, would fit around Scotty and Emmanuel uh, going forward. Um, maybe they use what cap space would come off with him and Gary Trent Jr. Uh, leaving in the offseason as free agents. Use that space um, to take on contracts from other teams and take on draft capital. Uh, or to pick up a good young player in a salary dump as a sweetener. So, like, it is possible that they both keep Siakam and let him go. So, like, it, it all of these are possibilities, and I'm intrigued to see where they go. I'm still inclined to believe that they try to trade him before the deadline, personally. I, I definitely think it's something worth watching. I love that we both have different points on that. 
um, whether it is me on one side, Josh on the other, or get right in between. I, I was curious. I think that's the next shooter drop, and I think it'll be a big, uh, this isn't breaking news here, but a big barometer as to what Toronto is planning on doing moving forward for sure. But as we wrap this up, just any final thoughts on this? I think the prevailing thought that I've seen that I agree with is that it's a trade that has been a win-win, you know, whether because both fans of each team kind of hate the trade, whether we look at it and we're like, hey, this makes sense for their both long-term future and the short-term benefit. Whatever the case may be, this is one of those trades where if we don't really play winners or losers here among the unholy three, um, but were we to do so, I think we could say that everyone walked away a winner. Um, Josh, what are your thoughts on that before we throw it to Garrett? I think the, the biggest winners of this deal, and this is the only way I would announce winners of a trade, um, especially this quickly, um, are... Emmanuel quickly and OG Ananubi. They both went to a place that's going to pay them what they want. Those two guys won this deal. I like that. Yeah. And again, speaking to the fact that like, we can't really speak to winners and losers at this stage and it's possible both are winners. It's possible both are losers, but uh, I think what makes this so interesting is that I think both teams have some decisions to make following this move in the near and the long term that uh, will set in uh, set in motion how these teams uh, you know are able to compete or not compete in the next uh, you know five to ten years. So I think it's going to be fascinating to see you know are the Knicks buyers and very aggressive to get another guy. You know, are the Raptors aggressive in potentially now continuing to to sell off their players that they don't want to pay the next contract? Um, I think this uh, this move is fascinating in the sense that, uh, yeah, we're uh, we're very likely going to see subsequent deals, um, you know, kind of bouncing off of this one. Yeah, I have nothing else to add other than that I agree with both of you. I think that it's interesting that this is the first kind of domino, and it came out of nowhere. I don't know where y'all were when the trade first happened, but I was on NBA Facebook, which I'm going to stop saying, but I was on Facebook discussing the merits of a Russell Westbrook trade with the Russell Westbrook fandom site. Don't know why I was doing that, but it's a way to spend a Tuesday morning or whatever day it was. And then I saw that the trade had happened, and I was like, this has to be like some CGI thing or whatever. I don't know. And here we were. So for it to be the first one to kind of happen before, I mean, it kicks off trade season. We have six weeks left, you know, between now and and, and the deadline to kind of see what shakes out, what teams kind of, you know, assess where they are, reassess, whatever the case may be. And I think this was a really good start to that um, for all the excitement that that brings for the transaction heavy folks out there. But as we close this one out, Garrett, share where people can find you in your work. Josh, same thing. We're going to we're going to send this out the right way. Yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Garrett Bougay. That's G-A-R-R-E-T-T-B-U-G-A-Y. And uh, you can also follow uh, and subscribe, rate, and review my uh, podcast, Duncan Dynasty. That's uh, D-U-N-K-I-N-D-Y-N-A-S-T-Y. These two guys are uh, on that show uh, quite frequently. So, uh, you know, we have a good time there. And, uh, you know, also keep an eye out in the next uh, week or so. I will have uh, every year I've done this for uh, at least for movies and television. This will be the ninth annual version for music. This will be just the second annual version. But I do a year end list where I basically uh, cover 
all of the uh, the media that I consume throughout the year, which is a lot. Um, and, uh, so music will be coming out first, and I, I do a lot of playlists. I do a 2023 playlist. I do some best of playlists of various artists of different genres where I listen through their whole discography and, and pick out the songs that I think are really good. So uh, I'll also chart down like what albums I liked in what different genres. So uh, yeah, keep an eye out for that. I uh, will put a lot of work into those. So I uh, hope, uh, hope you guys enjoy it and get something out of them. Really appreciate that guy. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I'm a full-time stay at home dad. So I don't, and I'm trying to stay off Twitter for a variety of reasons for, for now. Um, you can find me on there at two red J Earl, but I'm not really doing much on there right now. So instead I would pivot and try to drive you towards people like Garrett, like Corbin, like the, the fine folks at swish theory, uh, like the, the people I got to work with, um, at red team scouting, like Alex West, uh, Connor Har, who's doing some wonderful coaching stuff. Um, Eustachio Raleigh, who I think is finally back on Twitter, although he's not doing a whole lot. Um, just find and support good basketball analysis. And believe me when I say you will want to read Garrett's end of the year lists. They're, they're fantastic. I've gotten a lot of good use out of them in terms of uh, music stuff, uh, some movies that even I missed, um, some TV shows. Forks is the best episode of TV this year, and Garrett already hyped me to it before I watched it. Um so yes, yeah, and then I'll also add if you're somebody who wants to work in the basketball industry or you want to take the next step in your career in the basketball industry, I offer personalized um, mentorship in that area. I've done that for the last like 12 plus years, worked with people, uh, coaches, scouts, analytics, uh, even a former executive of the year from the NBA. Um, and, and my whole thing is trying to uh, help you find out the best possible strategies and approaches to help you take the next step in your dream career in basketball. So if that's something that's interesting to you, uh, email me at josh at myhoopscareer.com. We'll set up a, a time to do a free call. Uh, and, and see if there's uh, a way I can uh, help you take that next step towards your dream job in basketball. Can't recommend these fine gentlemen enough. Um, Garrett's attention and detail with all of his projects. Josh, with his attention detail and his projects and in helping you potentially. So definitely make sure to check out those two as well. Um, if you're so inclined to follow me on Twitter at CorbinNBA, uh, Instagram as well, because why the heck not? Um, check out the fine folks of Swish Theory at Swish Theory on Twitter, um, switch3.com, if I remember correctly, online. Check out Sports Ethos on Twitter at Sports Ethos online, sportsethos.com. And I think I've done all of the shout-outs that are needed for this show. So thank you again for checking it out. We said we're going to keep it less than an hour. We went just over an hour. Um, but without the intros, we're right there. Garrett, last thoughts. I just here. wanted to say, you know, Happy New Year to you fine folks here. And also anyone listening, Happy New Year to them as well. Thank you, Garrett. Wow. Happy New Year to you as well my friend. And to anyone listening, yes. Make it a great one. It's another awesome, uh, wonderful, horrible, terrible, all the things that come with life year. And we're going to make the most of it, uh, including us here, the whole Unholy Three. 
Um, but until next time, for Josh, for Garrett, for myself, we're Frosty. Y'all say Frosty. I'll talk to y'all real, real soon. I can't plug a see you next year joke. So.